Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. For a couple of years, I had buddies and people telling me, hey, you should um, be a guide. And I was like, nah, I don't want to turn it into a job. Then it started getting to the point where I was fishing with people, and I was getting to see them catch that first snook or that first harpin or maybe that personal best snook and it was like a light switch for me it went from wanting to be the guy fishing and catching all the fish to really enjoying watching other people do it and, and watching the excitement they had when they landed you know those fish so then i started getting the idea you know the ball starts rolling and i'm like maybe i should get my captain's license hey this is captain justin napier Welcome to the Tom Road Podcast. What's up, everybody? Welcome to the podcast today. Today's guest has been suggested to me by a number of people who have enjoyed fishing with him, enjoy his story, and thought that he would be an outstanding guest. And they were right. Captain Justin Napier guides in the 10,000 Islands area, and he loves fishing for tarpon and snook with artificial lures. And he was a great guest. We talked about a lot of different things about how to get into the guiding business, how he got his captain's license, how he got started, kind of on a whim and how he is making this a full-time profession. And I really enjoyed this conversation with my friend, Justin Napier. Justin, how are you, man? I'm great, Tom. Thanks for having me today. I really appreciate it. Good deal. I appreciate you being on. How's fishing been? Fishing's been killer. I mean, I'm, I'm over here in the Naples, Nap- uh, Mark Island, 10,000 Islands area, and it's been been hot but it's been on fire it's been yeah. really good what have you been catching snook and redfish and tarpon or uh i specialize in snook and tarpon mostly so that's pretty much what i target all year round i do catch a little bit of everything you know snook tarpon redfish trout but i try to specifically specialize in the bigger snook and the tarpon fishing hmm. artificial live bait oh uh, really oh uh, and do you have some fly fishermen too or 
Mostly artificial um, and live bait. Mostly, mostly artificial and live bait. Cool. And what about what about those two fish? Uh, do you like the most? Why is that? Why are those the ones that you gravitate to almost immediately? You're like snook and tarpon, man. That's it. Snook and tarpon. Oh man, it it goes. How far back do you want to go? As it goes, far it goes back, back as we can go. Well, so when I was a kid, bass fishing was where it was at for me. Mm-hmm. You, know, you know, I watched Bill dance outdoors growing up. And I'd go behind my grandparents' house and I'd largemouth bass fish and always top water, love top water bite. So one day I'm fishing with my buddy back then. I'm probably seven to 10 years old. And the sun's going down. You know, it's about dusk. I knew I had to be home soon. And I made that classic one last cast. So I sling my bait caster out there with this yellow top water popper. And I'm working that thing and it's, you know, seven to six feet out in front of me. So I had one more pop left. I pop it and this fish just hammers this top water. I look at my buddy and we look at each other and we're like, this gotta be the biggest bass ever. (laughs) And I set the hook, you know, cock back on it. And that head comes out of the water, gills flared out, head shaking. And my buddy goes, dude, that's a big snook. And I'm like, what's a snook? Like, I'm only bass fish. And he's like, that's a really big snook. And, you know, I've got 15, maybe 20 pound mono. And I get the fish in and we land it. And luckily, my grandparents' good friend lived right behind us. And he was a photographer. So he's got a picture of this. I'm trying to find the picture. I was trying to find it all day today. Um, There's a picture of me holding it, like I said, maybe seven to 10 years old. And I'm holding this snook. And I don't remember how big it was. I've had to guess, you know, maybe around the 30 inch mark, 28 would be my guess. Cause I was used to catching, you know, three to maybe five pound bass. So right. this was like a monster, you know? And that day was, that was the turning point for me. I was like, all right, bass are fun, but they're nowhere near as fun as these snooks. So how do we catch more of these? And then luckily his dad saltwater fish a bit. So he taught us that seven to 10 years old, how to throw a cast net. So we're throwing six foot cast nets on these, you know, mine cichlids and whatnot. And we're sending those things out on floats and catching bigger bass. Now, you know, we're catching those six to eight pound, like really nice large mouths. And then we started figuring out, okay, the snooks are hanging around the dock pilings. So let's float, you know, that float all the way back around the pilings. Then we started dialing in the snook. And then from there, it's just been, it's been an obsession just snook. And then there was actually tarp in that lake too. We figured out how to kayak out to the middle of the lake, drop our baits Mm. and then come back in and just sit there and wait. And we're jumping, you know, 50, 60 pound tarp in this big lake as kids. Wow. And then those were the, that was the fish that was the the life changer for me with fishing. It was like, all right, I love these fish. I need to target (laughs) these more. And then from there, it was just, uh, a lot of John boat adventures with my buddies with a trolling motor and a battery and, you know, going against the current running out of battery, using the dang, uh, landing net to paddle back and stuff. <laughs> just, just crazy kid adventures. And then, uh, to get where I'm at today, you fast forward a decent amount of years. And, uh, it started with me with, Salt Strong, the guys at Salt Strong, Joe and okay. Luke. Yeah, I love so, those guys. Salt Strong comes along. A buddy of mine adds me to that site. 
and Joe and Luke started doing this online fishing tournament. So it's basically, you know, post your pick from the weekend and it was a voting system. People go on there and they just vote for your fish. And I was always posting, you know, decent snook and tarpon, usually good sized snook. So after a few months of being on there, I became the snook guy. Like everyone's like, Oh, Justin's going to post his snook. And I was like, Oh, you know, I get lucky. Everyone gets lucky. And then that turned into people, you know, sending me a message saying, Hey, I'm going to be in your area, you know, on business. Could I hop on the boat with you? And I'm like, yeah, heck yeah, let's go. And then I put them on a, maybe their personal best snook or maybe their first tarpon. And then that slowly turned into people saying, Hey, why don't you become a guide? And I was like, for, for years, I was, my, my response was always, I don't want to turn fishing into a job. Yeah. I like, I like the fun aspect of it. So at this like, point, what are you doing for a living? Um, auto repair, okay. did auto repair from about the time I was 17 years old up until currently pretty much up until my adulthood. Um, I've always been a big muscle car fan. So grew up working on cars and fishing and then, uh, just more as I got older, I also rode professional BMX back in the oh, day. Yeah? So I'm an, I'm an adrenaline junkie. So that's where the fishing kind of comes in with my style, you know, with the sight fishing and the, the thrill of the hunt, because it, it gives me that adrenaline rush that I want. So that's where I gravitated towards fishing. I got a little bit older and I was like, all right, I got to lay down the BMX stuff. Can't afford to hurt myself. So got really back into fishing and just working out and trying to be healthier. And then, uh, just did all repair. Well, back to, I get off track a little bit here. I'm sorry. sorry. You're um, saying that you so, didn't want to, you, you didn't want to turn fishing into a, into your Yeah. I didn't want, job. didn't want to turn fishing into a job. So for, for a couple of years, I had buddies and people telling me, Hey, you should, um, be a guide. And I was like, nah, I don't want to turn into a job. Then it started getting to the point where I was fishing with people and I was getting to see them catch that first snook or that first tarpon, or maybe that personal best snook. And it was like a light switch for me. It went from wanting to be the guy fishing and catching all the fish to really enjoying watching other people do it and, and watching the excitement they had when they landed, you know, those fish. So then I started getting the idea, you know, the ball starts rolling and I'm like, maybe I should get my captain's license. And at this time I had a 1994 Hughes Bay Fisher, which is a great boat. Love that thing. Uh, my daughter was about two years old. It was 18 foot. Luckily for me, my wife and both my little girls love being on the water and fishing. So my wife back then was like, Hey, we should try to get a bigger boat. And I was like, well, I'm not against that idea. So then the ball's rolling about getting my captain's license. So I'm like, well, if I get my captain's license and I do like, you know, one or two trips a month, our boat's paid for. So she's like, well, that's a good idea. So I got my license and started working on that. Found a newer boat because I was pricing out, you know, a new outboard, a trolling motor. Really wanted a power pole back then. So what, it was like what 20. size boat did you have in mind? You're going from an 18-foot boat to, to what? Um, so I went from the 18-foot skiff to a bay boat. And I went with the small one. I went with like a 20-foot bay boat, which is still small for a bay boat. So like making that decision, you wanted more live wells. Was that a big yes. factor? And yes, I wanted to, I wanted to focus more on the live bait stuff because that was the guarantee for me to put my people on fish and then more room for the, my daughter time to run around and, you know, do beach days, 
Um, just be able to go offshore and grab bait if I need to, you know, do some of that near shore fishing. Mm-hmm. So I was like, oh, bay boat's going to be perfect. You know, reliability. I wanted a four stroke. So I went, got the bay boat. And then that opened up a lot for me because I was able to make those further runs with a better feel economy and get the bait in the morning because it was able to handle a little more chop. Mm. Yeah. And then so yeah, from there it grew. Yeah. And so did you, um, t- let's talk about getting your captain's license because that's interesting. A lot of people are, are, uh, um, that listen to this podcast are thinking about, you know, being a guide or, or exploring the opportunity of quitting their job. Yeah. And, and there's a lot of things that have changed between the time that I got my captain's license and, and today, um, there are a tremendous amount of opportunities online to, to, I, I don't know, tell me what you, what you know about getting the captain's license, how you did it. And, and maybe, you know, other ways to do it as well. So the way I did it, I was working full time. So I was, I was Monday through Friday, you know, eight to five. And then I had my daughter. So I didn't have a lot of free time. I couldn't afford, I, did, I didn't want to do the evening class. You know, I didn't want to be in a class at 10 o'clock at night. I was getting up at five in the morning every day and doing my morning workout and then going on to work. And for me to stay out till 10 o'clock at school, I just, I knew I wouldn't be able to focus. So there's a class out of Key West and it's all online. You, you pay for the course and you, you study and you take it on your own time. Hmm. And then, this, and then when you, who, yeah, who, run, who runs that? Um, I believe it's called some best, best of the best of Key West or something like that. Okay. Is I, that, I can't Flynn? remember exactly. Do you remember a name, Flynn Smith? That sounds familiar. Oh, that might be it. That's uh, that's who I, I went to his class and Pretty much every captain that I know went to his class. Uh-huh. Like he, it might be he 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 was definitely an OG for sure because yeah. he was super cool. And like when he answered the phone, he referred to you as captain right away. He's like, "All right, captain, let's go." <laughs> it was, it, he was yeah, he was a really him. cool guy. So him. basically, yeah, I had to study. So I study, 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 and then whenever you're ready for the test, you just drive down to the keys and you take the test. So that was best for me because of my schedule. You know, I'd be on my lunch break studying and. Saturday morning before the kids got up, I'd study and just study, study, study until I was ready to take it. And I overstudied. When I went down there, I was fully confident. I passed it first try and then I was psyched from there. And then I went on to... How how did you know that you were ready? Like, I mean, when you're, you know, when you're studying, uh, like, I don't know, it takes me back to college. Like when there was a deadline, you know, you're going to go take that test whether you're ready or not. But if it's all completely up to you and this is super important to you, it would seem like you would overprepare but then other people, like, I don't know, might underestimate the test because the test is hard. Yeah, I mean, it's it is. It's not about how to be a bay boat guide. It's about how to be a captain of a boat that you're probably never going to run in most situations. And yeah. uh, and it's comprehensive knowledge of things that at you, you and I in, in a skiff or a bay boat or a 36 or something like that, we're never going to encounter a boiler room fire. Like, no, you know, like, I don't know. I mean, how did you know that you were ready to take it? So I got to the point where I would, I would make a little test for myself and I would go through it without looking at the book. And I was just nailing every question. And I was like, okay, I got all the questions down. I test myself on plotting. I was like, I got the plotting down. I have my, I'd have my wife. I made little flashcards. I'd have her go through and just, you know, quiz me. And I was nailing it. And I was like, okay, I got to make the phone call and I got to just schedule my, my test. So I call them and I say, I want to take it, you know, this day. 
now I've got that yeah. locked in that day. So now I'm like, okay, we gotta, we gotta get this going. Cause I'm confident, but I gotta make sure I'm completely dialed. So that's what I did. I just got to the point of when my wife was testing me, I was nailing everything. I was nailing the plotting. I was like, okay, it's fresh in my brain. I got to go. I just go, go take it and get it done once. So I did that and it was great. My wife actually got hers as well. Oh yeah. Great. Yeah. She's got her, she just got hers last or Yeah. Last year, end of last year. And what does she plan on doing with it? She wants to get into yacht sales. She wants to get into selling the boats and, but she wants to look good on paper and know how to run the boats. She knows how to run boats, but she wants to look, she wants to look legit on paper. So now she's a captain. So she looks legit on paper. Yeah, that's great. And so uh, that's in your area, there are a tremendous amount of boats and yachts for sale. That's probably a great business to be. Yeah, it's, it's pretty much here. And then I guess Fort Lauderdale's obviously huge too. Yeah. So it's pretty much the two main areas in Florida. So many boats. You got boat, you know, every, every house has got two or three boats behind it. If you get on exactly. that and, system. And, and with thing, I got a couple of buddies that are in the boating industry. And right now with everything going on, people are buying boats like crazy because it's, it's the best way to get away from everyone. I know. And, Isn't and, that funny though? Because it seems like right at the beginning, it seemed like, you know, everybody was kind of locking up, like no spending because nobody knew what to do. Yeah. Exactly. And then all of a know. sudden the boat sales just take off and skyrocketed. Yeah. It's great. I love it. It's good. Yeah. It makes our industry. Hey, people are boats. So I've gotten a couple, um, from my, my same, my buddy, Josh, he's recommended people that, uh, they're just buying their first boat. They want to get into fishing. They don't know what they're doing. They're like, you know, hire Justin, take them out, show them around, show them you know, how to drive their boat a little bit better and also show them how to fish the area. There's a lot to learn. You know, that's a, that's an interesting subject that maybe we can talk about for a few minutes is like, yeah, you get somebody that doesn't know much about boating and they have money they want a boat and yep. they, they, maybe they have a family. Like, I don't know. Somebody told me one time a piece of information that I've kept and, and I'll tell it to everybody. Like you're looking for a boat. First of all, every boat is a compromise. So you're never going to find the perfect boat. In other words, mm -hmm. you're never going to find a boat that'll float in, in four inches of water to go fish for tailing redfish and be exactly. able to cross the Gulf Stream on the worst day. Like, so you're going to mm -hmm. have to compromise something. Which of those two things do you want to do more of? Like, how, exactly. how, when you're talking to these people, what, how do you kind of coach them into what boat they should be getting? Uh, a lot of the guys want the cruiser and just dabble in fishing. A lot of the guys that, are, that I've had sent to me are more like, hey, I just want to cruise with my family or cruise with my wife and I want to dabble in fishing. So I'm like, okay. No reason to get super serious, you know, get a, a mid-sized bay boat. You can do a little bit of everything. You can go offshore a little bit, do the inshore stuff. You know, if it drafts 10, 12 inches, you're fine. You know, you throw, I was like, definitely throw a trolling motor and a power pole on there because power pole or key wading is a big thing in our area. That, that's the beach hangout. So a lot, of, got a lot of people slide up on the beach, put your power pole down, your boat just sits there and you can hang out. Mm -hmm. but I tell a lot of the guys, if you're planning on doing the key wading thing, a power pole is going to be your best friend because it just makes anchoring up your boat a breeze. And then when you're fishing, it makes it a breeze. Yeah. So I always tell them mid, mid sized bay boat, definitely invest in the troll motor, definitely invest in the power pole. And then most guys were like, yes. And then the guys that maybe don't want to spend that kind of money because both of those things together are pricey. I'll say go with the trolling motor. Cause you can always, you know, do the, you know, the, the GPS spot lock stuff. So they right. can kind of do one and the same. 
but I, my trolling motor probably has quadrupled the hours that my engine has on it. I, I'm a big trolling motor fan. Yeah. Well, I, I troll guys, a lot. In that 10,000 Island area that you have an endless amount of, of shorelines yes. to, I mean, seriously, like an endless, it's not called 10,000 islands for no reason. Like they're, no. do you think there are 10,000 islands there? <laughs> it was gotta be. I mean, I, I read somewhere one time and it made me like almost kind of bummed out. I read somewhere that you can fish down there your entire life and you cannot cover every shoreline. And it sunk in. I was like, man, I could literally win the lottery tomorrow and be independently wealthy and go fish down there every day. And there's going to be shorelines that I can't cover because I'm going to get old and die. And I'm just like, oh, I got to get out there more. I got I to explore more. I love exploring. It's easy to get lost there. Um, I mean, there and other areas. Um, do you see you that? You can get lot? turned around. Yeah. It's, I mean, you know, I've, I've seen it a little bit with, you know, jet skis and, and a little bit with the kayaks without GPS. The GPS technology is, is unreal nowadays. Right. I feel like it's really, if you have a good GPS in your boat, it's tough to get turned around. You can yeah. easily find your way back. Yeah. But yeah, as a kid, you know, spending time in that area on canoes and stuff like that. Yeah. Without the GPS, it's easy to be like, Oh, that mangrove line looks just like that one. Which one did we come in? Yeah. The first time that I ever kind of went into an area like that, you come through this Creek and you're like, Oh, this will be easy. I'll just look for the same Creek, you know, on the way back. And then, you kind of just get a little bit off and you turn around and look and it's like, where's that Creek? Like, uh -oh, creek we better stop. I mean, it, oh, if you yeah. know enough, you're like, okay, wait, wait, hold on. We're about to get ourselves yeah. in big trouble here. We better stop, get some kind of bearing on where this Creek is. Because once you get out of a direct line to where you can see it, man, that whole shoreline looks unbroken. I mean, it looks like there's not a Creek there and exactly. that's, how you can, that's how you can easily get turned around. You, you do that <laughs> twice you go through one Creek and then you hit yeah, another little Creek. And now it's like, uh, Oh, where am I? <laughs> where it's, am I? It's funny you mentioned Creek. So what I really try to specialize in and, and really sell my clients, not just a fishing trip, but a, a fishing adventure. I like to get in these back country creeks and bays in my skiff. Just, I mean, tight creeks. I like catching tarpon in these six foot, seven foot wide creeks and I'll go all the way up them. I'll go in them and I'll explore and I'll figure out where these fish are sitting. And when I get guys that can throw artificial really well, that's where I'll take them because it nice. is, it is an adventure, no matter who you are, whether you live up North, you live down here, it's an adventure getting back in those Everglades, uh, back bays and creeks. And that's why I like to do. You have some that'll open up into a little lake, right? Exactly. Which are, which can be great. Yeah, and, and summer and winter. And if it gets rainy season, like right now, they really are on fire. Yeah. But you got to have a boat to get you back there. So where you said compromise about boats. Mm. I'm lucky. Lucky my wife likes boats because I actually have two boats. I have, I have my bay boat still that I've had for five years. And then I just got a skiff again last year. And that has been a game changer for me. Having the, having the skiff back in my life, I missed it so much. Mm. That, that thing's unreal. So in your area, you can, I mean, a lot of people may not have fished the 10,000 islands, but you can, there's several different boat ramps that you can kind of trailer yeah. a little, little skiff like that too. And then, you know, you don't mm -hmm. have to run across no. big water to get to a lot of the, and you can you kind of use the car and the trailer to, to move from exactly. place to place. So you can fish yeah. in a, a tiny little boat in some of those places like you're talking about, right? Yeah. Yeah. It's nice because there, like you said, there's, there's multiple boat ramps I and mean, you can launch out of Goodland. 
which if you're from here, that's kind of the beginning of the 10,000 islands, even though technically they start in the Naples, Marco Island area. If you're local, we just call it, you know, from Goodland down, you're basically 10,000 islands. So you can launch out of Goodland, you know, you can launch out of Port of the Islands, which puts you right on the edge of the Everglades National Park. And then you can actually launch out of, you know, Chukalusky or Everglades City, and then you're smack dab in the middle of the Everglades. Mm-hmm. So if you don't know how to... so cool. I love, oh, I, love, I love it down there. Yeah. Um, if you don't know the backwater, then that's the best way to do it. You can just, cause you can actually get from Goodland to Chukalusky without running in the Gulf. If you know the, if you know the waters, but you gotta know the waters cause yeah. there's a lot of, there's a lot of unmarked bays. There's no, there's no channel. There's no marking anything. You just gotta know, you just gotta know the routes. Mm-hmm. So this, but, this fishing that's getting you really excited right now of going back into these creeks and finding these mm-hmm. little lakes and stuff like that. And when you get back in there, um, you're finding tarpon and snook in clear water or what does it look like when you, uh, more tannic, more of an iced tea color, okay. sometimes a little murkier than that. I was just out Saturday. I had a, I had a trip actually reschedule and I, I love being able to poke around by myself. So I went out on the skiff and I was like, I'm gonna go find some juvenile tarpon, jump one, nice one. And then all of a sudden underneath my boat, all these black drum just blow off underneath uh-huh. me. Now, I was like, where did you guys come from? So knowing black drum, like, you know what? They're going to stay here. I'm going to continue on, keep tarpon fishing. Got another tarpon, got a decent snook. And then I had my fly rod with me and I was like, all right, I've caught plenty of drum on spin. I want to catch one on fly. So I snipped my little tarpon fly off. I tie on a little crab fly, but I got um, local from my guys over here. And I pull back up, creep in there. And sure enough, there's 20 of them just laid out happy as can be. I sling that fly in there and I'm just giving it long, slow drags. And all of a sudden I just feel it stop. I set the hook. It was probably, I don't know, 13, 14 pound drum. Nice. Really fun. I caught two on fly, one on spin. And I was like, I'm just going to leave them alone because they're just hanging out here. This is a good little spot. So within a very small area, I caught three nice drum caught one tarpon, jumped one tarpon, and then caught about a, I don't know, 28 inch snook all on artificial. That's a really great, fun. That's a great day. And didn't see a boat all day and it was Saturday. Wow. <laughs> <clears throat> so in that area, that's pretty common, right? I mean, it's very easy to get away from crowds. It is. Yeah. Yeah. You can get away from people pretty easily. A lot of people, which is good fishing. I, I share those techniques with people often when people ask for advice down there, I say fish the outside points. A lot of people stay on the outside if it's not windy and, and fish the outside points. You know, a lot of the ones that have good hard bottom, they hold fish. You know, they hold your snook, your red, your trout, everything. So a lot of guys stick to that. So the backwater is usually pretty open. The only guys that are fishing the backwater are either guides or locals that know the area that have been fishing down there for a long time. So it is very easy to get away from people in that particular area. So you're a guy that's known for for offering help to a lot of other anglers. Um, why don't, what, what, how does that start for you? Why do you, why do you give information so freely? So that started a lot with salt strong as well. So I was posting those fish on there, you know, pretty good sized fish. And all of a sudden people were, you know, asking for my opinion on things and it'd say, Hey, what lure was that, that you were using or how was you, how, how are you working that lure? So me being, I'm a nice guy. I'm not, I'm not a, I'm not a D at all. So I go, 
yeah, I was using this lure on this hook. I'll snap a picture and then, you know, I'll tell them, Hey, give it a twitch, twitch with a pause, really focus on that pause. And then all of a sudden I get someone messaging me back saying, Hey, I just caught my first snook or my first tarpon with what you told me. And that was really rewarding. I actually really was taken back by that. I thought that was really cool. So I enjoy helping people. I don't think it's a bad thing. I know some of these old timer guides are very, you know, learn yourself, you know, figure it out. And I just, my wife always says you get more bees with honey. So I feel like being the nice guy and helping people has gotten me where I am now and and where I'm going, which I don't know where that is. I'm just enjoying the road as of right now, but I like helping people. It just, it makes me feel good. That's it. You know? Yeah. And did, did that translate into maybe you deciding that maybe guiding was something that you wanted to do? It, it definitely helped because it was all around the same time when people were, you know, asking to come fish with me and asking my opinion on lures or asking me for my advice. I started giving it. And then, yeah, it definitely was like, you know, I could do this on my boat. I could take people with me, you know, and, and I've done a, a numerous trips where I've had people reach out and say, Hey, I want to book a trip. I'm not interested in live bait. I want to work on my artificial. So I actually did like one-on-one coaching, you know, on my boat, showing them how to work the lure, how to read that, that fish's body language when you make that cast and that fish is chasing that lure. A lot of people just want to stop it and be like, okay, eat it. Well, I always say, you don't want to stop the lure. Imagine if you're getting chased by a lion, are you just going to stop and tell them, you know, eat me? No, you're going to, you're going to keep running. So you got to keep working that lure and you just got to judge the speed of the lure by how that fish is reacting. And once you learn that it's game on. What do you think about, I mean, that in particular seems to be the difference between a, a good angler and a great angler. It seems to be the difference between even, even somebody that can be called an angler and somebody that is, is oblivious to that. Like, oh, there's a fish. I've thrown it over there and they expect it to eat it. But like Just somebody that it. knows what's up is like, no, oh, no. You, you- like that. You got to make that. Yeah. So like, how do you, how, how do you, where do you think that comes in, in someone's, um, in someone's kind of education as a fisherman to where they start to, to understand the fish and the way that this fish is eating and what they need the lure to look like. Um, what do you, what do you think about that? Honestly, I think a lot of it just boils down to time on the water. The more time you spend fishing and the more time you spend watching the fish, you start to figure it out. I've had days like in the winter time this past year, we get the negative tides in the winter. So this winter was the first time I had my skiff. So I went to this area that I really like. It was super negative tide and I was pulling around and I was watching redfish feeding and tailing and their backs are out of the water and I'm watching snook cruising. And I probably went a good hour without even making a cast. I was just watching, I was pulling and just sitting there and I was just watching their movements and seeing how they reacted. And then finally I was like, okay, I want to catch a redfish. And by watching them, I made one cast. I could tell that they were wanting something kind of running away. So I just, it was a paddle tail. I didn't even, you know, twitch it or anything. I just steadily reeled it and that redfish just bolted and hammered it. Yeah. So it was, it was cool. I like, I like watching. I do that a lot. I'll just watch the fish and just see what they're doing. Yeah. Well, it's incredibly um, educational because sometimes you can see exactly what they're doing, like Mm -hmm. um, setting up an ambush or 
there was this really cool video. It was on it was on Instagram today. I don't know if you follow this guy. He's uh, Sportfish Galleries, Adrian Gray. Um, yeah, yeah. I so love it. Did, did you see that video that he had today? It and and maybe it got picked up on another account, but anyway, it's it's his video, and it was of a snook hiding behind a rock, and there were all these bait fish coming around, and this snook is behind this rock, and then just at the right time, it goes up and it just kills these bait fish, but then it comes right back in and it and sets fits. up again, and yep. it's like you watch that video and you're like, okay. That is super cool because you're always thinking, okay, well, there's probably a snook around that rock or whatever. But this was like, you could see how the bait fish were coming around and most of them were not in harm's way. But then a couple of them would come into just a <laughs> little further out and that snook is just sitting there waiting. Waiting. All yep. of a sudden it's just like, that's it right there. Bam. And when you see that, it's like, you can you can start to think in your head like okay if I was fishing there, then that's what I need to do and that's where it's like you you you've got clients on board and you're like well cast you know to that rock yeah okay cast again and again and yep. again and again and then one time it's not even perceptible to you even but it's like it's coming back a half an inch different than where yep. It where where it was last time, or maybe exactly. maybe the wind blew the line over a little bit, and it's pulling the lure around like this just a little bit, and all of a sudden it's like wham, like it's been waiting all day for that. When it has, like it doesn't want to just just because it's in the area doesn't mean that you're going to get the the bite right. Nope, it's got to be that just danger perfect. zone. And and just by looking at the area, I mean, I guess there's some guides and anglers that are really good, and they look at it and they're like, this is how it's going to go. But oftentimes it takes multiple casts, you know, because it seems right. You're you you have the ability to see that there's a good spot. There's going to be a fish there, but is it two inches this way or two inches this way? And so maybe you make multiple casts and then bam, it happens. But that video was perfect for that. I just thought it was really cool. I even commented on it. I was like, "That's a cool nice. video." <laughs> I didn't see that, but it reminds me of my tarpon fishing. I, like I said, I've been on. I try to stay on tarpon all year, you know, and, the, and right now the big ones, they're easy to find, you know, they're, they're out front, they're in schools and they're along the beaches and kind of in the backwater, but I like to stay on them all year. And I, I specifically like the 50 pound and under, I like the juvenile stuff. It's mm -hmm. just, it's a lot of fun. It's not going to kill your back. So, you know, my average person can jump a handful or catch a couple and it's, it's really fun. So I try to stay on those guys all year. And are you and that's able to, like with all the cold fronts, is there, is there some temperatures and some situations where you're not able to find those fish? Yeah, it gets a little tough. I'd say, say January, February, mm -hmm. it's a little tough, but they're, they're in those creeks. And I've spent a lot of time studying the tarpon behavior to figure out, you know, they don't just disappear. You know I mean? Fish, they just move to a certain place. If you can figure out where they move to, and for me in the wintertime, it seems like they like that, that dark backwater. That's so dark that when the sun shines on it, it warms it up quicker. That that's where they go hang out. That's where you find your bigger snook in the wintertime as well. So I've spent a lot of time doing that and then developing techniques to get them to eat. Like, and one like that I've been what? working on. Let's talk about that. <laughs> well, the couple of techniques that I've been working on for the past couple of years that is tried and true for me now, cause I've done it so much is when I see a tarpon roll, you know, if I see him roll, I cast right on his head. And 
the reason for that is my theory personally, when that tarpon rolls and then he comes up and he starts going back down, I'll, I'll time my jig head to my water depth. So let's say it's three foot. So I'll use like a one eighth ounce jig, like a super light jig that's going to land soft. And in my head, I'm thinking that tarpon comes up, he rolls. I cast that jig, that jig hits that tarpon's going down and that jig's falling. It's going to be his idea to see that. Mm. And, and hammer it it's not like a force like he's coming at me let me cast it right at him you know or or he's coming this way let's bring the lure right to him because that's that's not natural and that technique if they don't hit it as it's falling usually that first twitch and they're boom they're hammering it they're on it and that technique has caught me a lot of fish and, and jumped a lot, a lot of fish it's been a really um good technique to work yeah i like what you said there that it's that it's his idea and exactly. that's, that's how we fish the big tarpon on the ocean side too, is like, you got to cast so far in front of those fish to where they don't see the fly land in the water. And then you're bringing it in a way that the fish discovers the fly. Like exactly. you're not showing it. the fish, the fly you mm -hmm. are, you're putting the fly in a situation to where the fish discovers it is just swimming along and goes, Oh, what's that? Like exactly. Make, like, make it his oh, idea. What's that? You know, like there's <laughs> a big difference. Why is, it, why is it coming at me? Yeah. I mean, yeah. Make it, make it their idea. Yeah. Their idea. That's a big one. That's a big one. And that's what, yeah. that's where it, uh, you know, you can, you can, uh, I'm not a big fan of cats, but I have had a cat in the past and <laughs> you know, that cat is easy to play with when it's a kitten and you can take a piece of string or anything and that kitten will come right over and, and play with it. But when that kid, that cat gets to be about 11 pounds and, and yeah. 11 years old, man, it sits over there and you throw something at it and it just looks at you like, you gotta be kidding yeah. me. That's but a good comparison. Can, but if you can see it, like I used to do this all the time with this cat and you could see the cat, like go in there and eat its lunch or whatever. And then it's coming back around you're like, okay, I'll get this cat to play with me today, right now, because it's going to come around this couch like it always does. Yep. I can't see this. And I'm, the string's going to be there when the cat comes around this couch. And then I'm going to move it so slowly, and he's going to come around that couch, and he it's going to be his idea to, to pounce it, yep. on that. <laughs> and so you set up this ambush, right? And it's the same thing that happens with, with fish. And... And the same understanding that if you want to catch the big one, they're like that old cat, man. They're not just going to jump on anything. Yeah. It's got to be something that's really interesting, something that in a lot of cases they didn't expect. Like that wasn't there just a second ago. Like nope. where did that come from? That's got to be the stupidest little minnow in the world. Like, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like you got to set that ambush up. I, I like that. What you said about that, like making sure. Yeah, that's good. Idea. Yeah, I don't know about the. I wouldn't. I wouldn't. I wouldn't recommend my technique in the keys. That probably wouldn't work out too well. But back I, in that dark, dirty water, it works. Yeah, I mean, I'm sure it would though. Um, you, you, you know, we have we have water like that too. You know, up in yeah, um, I guess it yeah, almost almost our our park. water fishes uh starts to intersect a little bit. Like you're probably getting down to the Shark River, and we're getting up to the Shark River, and then yeah. You know, it's kind of, there's a lot of the sim similar kind of stuff, but even in the super clear water of the lower keys, there are situations where you're getting in that kind of tannic water where the, the tide is going out and it's pushing that tannic water out of the mangroves and, mm -hmm. and it looks like iced tea, you know, yep. and, the, and the fish are in there pretty good. I've experienced that down there. 
fishing out of the Murata. Yeah. Yeah. And so what about the snook? Um, how do you see the differences between fishing for tarpon and fishing for snook? Uh, snook, I fish. So when I go for the big snook, I like my live bait. It's just a way to guarantee my clients good fish. So I'm, I'm fishing, you know, spots where I know they're hanging out and I like big, big baits for that. Like I can go to places where I know, okay, I know my big snook are sitting here. I'm going to throw either a big pilchard or this time of year, I actually like threads. A lot of guys hate threads because they just don't stay lively. But if you're, if you know exactly where the fish are, you don't need them to be lively. You only need, you know, maybe three casts and then you let that bait do its thing and boom, that's it. Mm -hmm. So that's what I like for those. And then the backwater, um, a lot of, a lot of lures. Sometimes I'll, I'll start, like if I'm fishing dark water, sometimes I'll break that old rule, dark water, dark lure. I'll throw a bright white paddle tail back there and, and they'll, they'll fire up and hammer it. And then sometimes they want a dark color. It just depends. I'll have, usually have both tied up. Mm -hmm. One thing I, one thing I don't do that I learned from a, a good guy to my area who gave me this recommendation. He said, uh, I never take live bait to my backwater spots. Mm. He's like, if those fish are chewing, on lures really well and you start bringing pilchards back there every day you're going to ruin them they're yeah. going to be honed in on those pilchards that's all they're going to want you're going to make them really finicky and right now they're not finicky you can throw a paddle tail at them and they act like they've never seen the thing before and and he's like you know i took that advice and i was like that makes complete sense like i love that, that that's genius because i was like oh i got my skiff now i'm gonna go throw throw my net get some pilchards and bring them to the backwater and I'm glad I didn't do it because I was like, you know what? That, that makes complete sense. Like, don't bring them back there. Just, mm -hmm. They're not eating pilchards. They're not eating pilchards back there. You know what I mean? So bringing them back there would almost spoil them. Right. They sure would like to though. <laughs> oh, I'm sure it'd be, it'd probably be insane fishing, but I would, I, after a while, I think they would, they would tune in on that. And then when the bait's hard to get now, what? Yeah. That's one thing actually speaking of when I first started a guiding, I was the bait, you know, I, I had to have that live bait. I want, you know, my clients, I want to have a good time. I had to get that live bait. And it was just about two years ago. I finally broke out of that and was able to have great days, catch quality fish without using live bait. So it, it took that bait grind off of me. Like I, I, obviously that's, that's number one. If I can go out, throw the net, get my pilchards, that's, you know, okay. Guaranteed my clients are gonna have a good time. But if you can't do that, which there's certain times of the year that gets tough, you got to have that plan B. And for me, it's, it's been really dialing in jigs and shrimp. So it doesn't matter the skill level. You don't have to be good at fishing lures. I can, I can get you good fish just using a simple jig and shrimp, which, which is a tried and true technique in our area. Mm -hmm. A lot of guys fish it all year round. So that was, that was a really great turning point for my guiding career was when I broke out of that live bait bubble and was able to produce fish outside of that. Have you been having trouble getting any live shrimp right now in your area? Yes. There, there yes, were none in the keys just recently. I um, heard that. It's been I very, very tough to get the live shrimp. You got to be first there or, and, and then it's, yeah. it doesn't last very long. And then the shrimp truck is not really coming regularly. I don't know why that is necessarily. I, yeah. I don't know what's going on. I know in the summertime it's normal for them to get small, but yeah. yeah, it's been, there's been a shortage of shrimp and then they're extremely small to where they're almost pointless. Hmm. So I just do frozen shrimp on a jig if I have to, and that works just as good. Mm -hmm. So your frozen shrimp, are you just buying those uh, like today yeah. 
or are you catching shrimp? Uh, no, I just, I'm just buying them. <clears throat> there were some guys in the Keys that were, um, the shrimp got really tough and they were going out and they were netting them at night. Okay. And then they were freezing them themselves and taking a real, you know, like, like, uh, being real careful about packing them and, um, vacuum sealing them and then freezing them and having them, uh, for the, for the, you know, the times in the summertime when it was really tough and they That's were lasting idea. so much better than, than those other ones that I don't know if they're mishandled or they're just getting smashed or how long they sit yeah. before they freeze. But I mean, these guys were freezing these that, I mean, they were probably still alive when they were vacuum packing them and then they're freezing them and they would only put like six or eight in a bag and okay. they were dynamite, you know, uh, they they really stayed on the hook. They looked great. You That's can, good. Yeah, and bonefish were eating them. It was great. I mean, it takes a lot of work, you know. But it's if if we continue to get these shrimp shortages, that's a that's certainly something that works very well. Yeah, I'll do that. I'll do that sometimes with ladyfish. If I'm on a trip and I'm we're catching, <laughs> you know, you know, ladyfish is a bycatch. No matter what you're doing, catch a couple of those. I'll throw them in the live well, take them home, and I'll freeze them just in case. You know, one of those days pops up where, you know, the shrimp sucks the bait's tough. Maybe it's blowing 20 miles an hour out of the West and it's terrible. Throw some chunks in a couple of spots and usually produce that's produce some nice fish. Usually if it's a redfish or a snook, it's going to be a upper or over slot. It's going to be a yeah. decent fish. So there's probably some people out there that don't quite understand. Why don't you explain that, how you're taking a frozen uh, lady fish and, and finding the area that you want to, to use them in and, and how you're, how you're using those chunks. So what I'll do is usually, obviously with me, I'll go to an area where I know fish are holding because that's, I know they're there. And then I like to take basically, you know, take your pointer finger and take your thumb, put them together. I like to start with a chunk like that big, put it on a, maybe a three yacht hook. I'll start with no weight, depending on where it is, cast it over there and just, just let it sit and wait. And usually, like I said, if it gets picked up by a fish, it's a good size fish to fix it up. They, they like those chunks, lady fish. Well, that's now, basically how I fish them. That's a technique where you do not have to see the fish. I mean, it helps if there's no. It helps if you've caught fish there before. But like, if you exactly. find a shoreline that looks really good, and you throw mm -hmm. that over near the shoreline, like I like to, when if I'm doing that, I like to try to get it almost under the bushes. Yeah, um, exactly under the trees. Yep. Right. But how long are you letting it sit there before you decide this might be unproductive? Um. Well. The, the whole spot, I probably want to give about 20 minutes. If you don't get, you know, one good run in 30 minutes, just, you're probably not going to get anything there. Or if I get, you know, three catfish in between them, like, all right, we're just going to move somewhere else and try. Mm -hmm. But once that's another thing we said, going into mangroves, you got to go into mangroves and stay away from the catfish. You, you get someone who casts, you know, six, eight feet off of mangroves. I'm like, that's, that's catfish territory. You want to be in those trees. Um, 30 minutes probably because that style of fishing is not my favorite personally. Um, I've used it in tournaments because it produces big fish. I've used it to, you know, catch, put some fish on the board for clients when the bait was terrible. But yeah, I mean, if I don't get one within 20 or 30 minutes, I'm probably either going to go back to a shrimp and jig or just change technique mm -hmm. or change, change spots altogether. But for a lot of people that don't really have a lot of spots that can be, you know, knowing a technique like that can be incredibly yes. good because if it's blowing, you know, I mean, you guys don't have the the problem when it's really blowing like we do because you have so many shorelines that can be sheltered, uh, yes. in the, in the lower keys, we have a lot of islands, but not, not all, I mean, you don't have the, 
I don't call it 10,000 islands for nothing. Like (laughs) you got a lot of islands. So, but for people that have limited spots, knowing a technique like that of uh, either using a ladyfish or cut up pinfish or whatever you're going to do, mullet, um, that can be a day saver big time. Oh yeah. Windy day. Oh yeah. What kind of bottom? What uh, when you're looking at that earlier, you said that you were looking for these these points with hard bottom. Is that something mm-hmm. that you would be looking for with that technique? Yeah, that technique will work there too because that's what those fish are, are staging up and, and they're they're feeding. So you throw a nice chunk bait in there. That's just an easy meal for them to you know suck that thing up and take off with it. Mm-hmm. That, gonna, that would for sure work. Up there, you're going to catch um, redfish and snook, and are you going to catch tarpon like that too? You'll catch tarpon like that. You'll catch big. Uh, trout like that as well. You catch mm. all, you catch all of them. Yeah. You could, you could grand slam on chunk bait really. Yeah. What about Goliath grouper? Do you see those under the bushes? Yeah. Yeah. They, they like to hang out in the high current areas, high current, high structure. Mm. You know, I mean, some bait fish flowing through there, uh, holes, basically, you know, your six, yeah. eight foot, 10 foot deep holes. You can get them, get them out of there. They've like, been, they've been, do you like fishing for right those? Now. They're fun. I think they're underrated. You know, Dude, those, those backwater. I really love them. Yeah. I do. I they trick so me every awesome. time. They trick me when I'm throwing lures. I've had a couple and I'll be looking for redfish and I don't know if it's just me, but every time one thumps my lure, it feels like a redfish. I mean, that a, feels like a red. Yeah. It's and a then heavy thump. It's a heavy thump. And I'm like, that feels like a good red. And then all of a sudden it, it's something like, that's not acting like a red. Something's weird. And then that big grouper comes up. Yeah. yeah those backwater ones are fun. I've got clients that, catch those and they, they get a kick out of catching those things. Well, I thought, I always thought that, uh, I kind of happened upon that fishery by accident almost because, you know, you, it's blowing 30 and your client yep. says, well, I don't want to sit in the hotel room, so I don't care if we catch anything or not. Yeah, I'd rather let's go. go. So it's like, okay, we're going. And it's like, okay, what are we going to do? Cause it's not going to be bonefish permanent or tarpon. I can tell you that it's, blowing, <laughs> it's literally blowing 30. We're going to have to go up against the bushes and it's like, well, do you want to go snapper fishing? They're like, sure, I'll go snapper fishing. And you get up on some of those shorelines. Like, what is that? You can see something moving under there. And then I started catching these little little baby Goliath little groupers. Fly. And then I started, like, people were having such a good time with it because most of those people were bass fishermen. Like, you were exactly. telling me your story about being a bass fisherman and catching your snook, which is way bigger than any bass you ever caught. That's how yep. these people were with the Goliath grouper. They were like... I don't know why you guys don't fish for these things. This is the biggest bass I've ever caught. You know, you catch a pretty 10, much. You catch a twelve pound Goliath grouper, which is not a big one at all, and no. it's a huge, fun. largemouth bass and really fun. So I don't know. I started fishing for them, and then I was incredibly disappointed around 2010 when we had the uh, the big cold that front. Freeze. Yeah, yeah, and it really knocked them back. I mean, really knocked them back. But just lately, we just did a show. Uh, purposefully went after the the small Goliath groupers. And nice. it's kind of funny because that was one of the most popular shows that we ever did was a happenstance show. It's like, okay, well, we've already caught bonefish and permit and tarpon. What are we going to do now? And I was like, I don't know. I guess we could go catch these Goliath groupers under the bushes. And Rich was like, what? What are you talking about? I'm like, <laughs> That's cool. Well, let's go over here and do it. And we just got this amazing footage. The water was super clear and we had a GoPro down there and I think this might even been before GoPros. We had a camera in a housing and we got this great footage and then we were catching these fish and we had so much response to that show. I just think that's a, that's a very underrated fish. The, yeah. They're, the they're a lot of fun. Goliaths. Yeah. A lot of fun. And then people haven't caught them. Like you said, it's, it's exciting. And you hook a decent one. Like I've had, I've had a couple, you know, 20, 30 pounders that have popped a, 
a jerk bait and you're like, what the heck is this? Yeah. <laughs> you pull sounds- it up and they if you could figure out how to, you know, fish artificials for those things and catch them regularly and, and as often as you could on bait, that would be, that'd be, I've been getting them. I would say most of the ones I've caught recently, I'm going to say have been on artificial on on like black, black and pink paddle tail. Nice. Yeah. They like like crabs. Oh yeah. Oh man. I took my, I took my wife fishing recently. She wanted to catch a permit. She's never caught a permit. And it was, uh, the Friday before 4th of July weekend. So we both had the day off and like, all right, let's go try this. We'll get half a dozen, uh, crabs. We'll go, we'll go try it. Took her, my two daughters, family day. We went and hit some of the offshore stuff and we're floating crabs back and she hooks a monster. And I'm like, Oh, that's pulling kind of weird. And I think it was a big Goliath. It broke her off. And then she floats another one back and catches like a 38 inch snook, which I've never had a snook eat a crab personally, but. It, it hammered it. And then she caught a 30 and we had one good permit run and I was worried about the Goliath. So I told her to put a lot of pressure on it and she pulled the hook. Mm. So I'd rather, I'd rather have it pulled hook than have the Goliath eat it. So, right. Oh, well she, she was happy with her bycatch. Yeah. Um, that's, that's, a an area that you have, you have a tremendous amount of permit and Goliaths on some of those wrecks and structure. Yes. Offshore, right. And big snook as well. Hmm. And and big reds in the winter time. Really? Oh, that's cool. Yeah, I've never yeah. fished those up there in the winter time. We, I just try to avoid long runs in the winter time. That's all. The way that's a there. run. Yeah, that's a run for you. And yeah, if that wind kicks up, that's gonna be a, a fun ride back. Yeah, it can be. Um, but uh, I, I'll have to check out those big redfish out there uh, in the winter time. Yeah. How do you yeah, fish? They, for get, those? They, they get on those wrecks too. Um, paddle tails. You know, artificial shrimps. Uh, bait, if you can get it, you know, the pilchards down the bottom on a split shot, it's mostly snook and your Goliath, but you do get the reds. Like when they start doing their migration, you'll, you'll randomly come across schools of them just hanging out on some of those wrecks and reefs. Mm-hmm. Cool. So basically bycatch. All right. So as a, uh, as a guide that's kind of getting started and, and, uh, you get your captain's license as a first step and then. Yep. How do you start to develop customers? How did you do it? So with, so with me, I, I got to say, you know, social media was a big part of it for me. Some, some guys are, you know, don't like social media. Some of these old charter captains don't like it. But for me, I feel like there's a lot of pros and cons of social media. And I feel like there's more pros than cons. And as I started to make a small name for myself, um, I started getting a lot of people from social media. And then it was a lot of word of mouth. Even currently, I'm, I'm still strictly social media and word of mouth. And it's been working really well. And I think, uh, you know, call it some of the nosy guides. There's, there's a couple. Every, every area has their handful of guys that are just not happy. And I've had people ask me straight to my face, how are you getting trips? And I'm like, social media and word of mouth, man. I'm not stealing any work from you. I just do my own thing. And I fish because it's fun and I don't want any part of the drama. And my two cents on that is if guides in your area are, you know, giving you crap, it's probably because one, they're maybe not that good at fishing and they're intimidated by you or two, maybe they're not that great with their people skills. And as a whole, they're not a good guide and and they're intimidated by you because I can tell you the guides that are good at what they do, do not care what you're doing. You know, I got Jeff Legucky. 
perfect example. He's Jeff Lugucki, he's, he's awesome. And he's a local guide in my area. Jeff doesn't give a crap what I'm doing. And he doesn't care that, that I've been guiding a couple of years in the same area as him. He doesn't care because he's good at what he does. You know, the guys that care, I just, I just think they're intimidated by you personally. Well, maybe they, they could be intimidated or they could just be frustrated that it seems like they're doing all the right things, but the trips just aren't coming their way. But maybe there needs to be a little introspection of why are the trips not coming? Your why way? are the did trips? You, yeah. Did you get mad at some previous customers or? Exactly. Do you show up late or like, what is it? Mm-hmm. Is it your professionalism? Is it your attitude? Exactly. Is it your conversational skills? Is this, so, are you looking at this as a fishing tournament or are you looking at this as an entertainment business? Exactly. So with, with fishing, what I've learned, and I learn every year, you know, I, I strive every year to be better and to become better and to get better. And with, with fishing and people skills and, and my people skills are fairly good. I'm good with people. And I think that's what gets my clients to come back. You know, I show them a good time. They catch fish and like, this guy was a lot of fun. He didn't care that I got caught in the tree four times. He, four. he made, you know, whatever Four, you know, four hundred. Let's, just call it, let's just call it. He didn't care. If we got caught in the trees and which I have a funny thing for that. When someone gets caught in the trees, you know, a lot of times, you know, they're embarrassed. They're like, Oh man, I'm so sorry. I'm like, don't be sorry. You know, it's part of the game. I always say, if you're not getting stuck in the trees, you're not trying hard enough. You're not, you're not trying to get in there hard enough. And then I'm like, depending on how their attitude is, like if they're kind of laughing with me, I'll go and it's fine. Cause we'll just send the County a bill for trimming the trees. And they usually get a kick out of it. They laugh at that. So a lot of the fishing, what I've learned is the fish are a bonus. So when people go fishing with you, they're going on an adventure with you. They're on vacation. They're taking a day off work. They just want to have fun. They do not want to be yelled at. They don't want to be like, why'd you blow that shot? Why'd you miss that fish? They just want to have fun. And if you can make it as fun as possible and, and joke around and catch some fish too, I think that's what brings them back. And that's what I try to do is just sell them an adventure. Like you're gonna have a good time with me and we're just going to have fun. And I'm not going to yell at you. If you miss a fish, it is what it is. It's part of it's part of that's fishing. You know, and I'm not going to, some, some guys get really, into it. And I can see that because there's some days where, you know, I've had people blow shots at really nice fish. And as a guide, I want you to catch that fish. So I'm like bummed out, but at the same time, I'm not going to yell at you. I'm going to say, okay, let's try again, or let's go try another fish. We'll we'll move on. We'll carry on. We'll we'll make it happen whatever way we need to. Well, that's really the difference between somebody that's kind of playing the long game. Excuse me somebody that's playing the long game and thinking about, okay, I'm trying to make this my career. I want that person to catch this fish worse than they do. So much worse than they do. Been there. Is it going to help for me to yell at this person? Is this person going to want to come back if I get upset? No, it's not. No. What is going, the only thing that I can do in this situation is to be the coolest guy that I can possibly be. Put my ego aside, I would have loved to have posted that picture to social media. I would have loved to have told the guys at the dock that we caught yeah. the biggest fish of the year. Yeah. All of those things. But that's all ego driven. Like that's all exactly. like you want that for some some reason. But it's like the guy that's wondering how you're getting the trips. Well, maybe they're catching consistently, they catch better fish than you. But the guy has to get, you know, yelled at all day mm-hmm. 
to catch that to giant get, fish. And it's yeah. like, I don't even want this. I'd rather not catch anything than go out and mm-hmm. get, get yelled at. I could get yelled at home and it worked. <laughs> like this is what exactly. I'm doing out here. But I think it's kind of interesting that you have that perspective so easily. And maybe it's because it wasn't very long ago that you were, you were, a working person yourself. And like the last thing you want to do is go out and get yelled at. Like you're trying exactly. to have a good time, right? Trying to relax. Exactly. You know what? Another, another thing, actually a trip I just did last year, I'll never forget it. Cause it was like an eye opener to me. I was, I was very focused on the fish. I've always been really focused on the fish. Like that was number one. And I took him and his buddy. The, the one guy was very good with artificial and his buddy was not good at fishing at all, which is fine. I can do all skill levels. So take them or catch a couple of snook and his buddy, you know, jumped the tarpon, that, that technique I told you, the tarpon rolled. I said, just cast right over there, he cast right on it, twitched it, tarpon hammered it. He doesn't fish very much. So he missed the hook set, tarpon jumped, flung the lure. I was like, well, he thought that was pretty cool. And then I'm like, okay, well, let's move. It seems like these guys have kind of chilled out. So let's, let's, let's carry on. And as we're idling out, you know, they're just chatting and the buddy goes, man, it's so peaceful out here. I could not catch a fish the rest of the day and I'd be perfectly happy. And that was like an aha moment for me. I was like, man, this guy, he's just happy to be out here. Like the fish are just a bonus to him. So it, it, it really just took the pressure off. I was like, you know, they already caught some fish and we went on to catch more fish, but it was just cool that, you know, it's easy to get wrapped up in the fish and, and forget that some people are just really happy to be out in your area and getting to see, you know, your area where you're from. Right. And the fish and the fish are a bonus. I think so that good, was cool. Good guides. Like you mentioned, Jeff, he's obviously a very, very good guy. has an amazingly good reputation. A lot of guides in the keys that they're, they're not just good fishermen, but a lot of people that have this stellar reputation and their clients couldn't imagine fishing with somebody else. It's always because, or it's not always because, but a lot of times it's because they they know other things than fishing. Like they know when to keep their mouth shut. Like mm-hmm. when that guy is saying, wow, it is just so peaceful right here. I could just sit here for an hour and you're, and then all of a sudden you put the power pole down right there. You turn the motor off and you say, cool, let's, ha- let's eat some lunch. You know? Yeah. And then there you go. Like, yeah. He's like, really right here. We could just sit here. Yeah, yeah. sure, man. No problem. Whatever you want to do. It's your day. Okay. Exactly. And then, and then instead of telling 35 jokes at lunch, you just be quiet and you realize you look over at the guy and he's like, this is the first time in six months that this guy's been quiet. Like he's Mm -hmm. probably the CEO of some company. He's got people asking him questions every pressure all seconds. He's, he's answering text messages. Look at him. He's not, he doesn't have his phone. (laughs) He's completely peaceful. And then later, like a big aha moment for me is doing something like that and having go, coming back to the dock and them saying, you know what, that lunch, that just rejuvenated Made me. my day. Yeah, that was the best. Never yeah. mind that he caught four tarpon, you know, or an, and two <laughs> permit and and a bonefish. Yeah. And he doesn't talk about that. He's like, Bonus. that lunch was amazing. And you know why? Because I didn't say anything. <laughs> like, yep. That's what he wanted. He wanted to be really super quiet. But I don't know. It's like the perception. It's like being, you know, having having the ability to kind of understand that I think is a is a superpower of some guys. Yes. That yes. That just understand, okay, this is not necessarily about catching the big fish. Now, I may have the same person and he may be my angler for a tournament, 
and it's going to be a different deal. Like it's going to be a little that, bit different. Yeah, that is about fishing in a tournament, and that's what that guy yeah. wants to do. But today, a little more pressure. Today, he's chill, and he wants to chill and fun. Chill. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You did a podcast with uh, Benny Benny yeah. Blanco, and, and and he said that he said uh, basically reading your clients and asking them. I started applying that technique, and basically when I get someone that inquires about a charter, my first question is, "What are you interested in? What do you want to do? Are you interested in just going out?" And you know, live bait, catching whatever, or do you want to fish back country, snook and tarpon? What, what do you want to do? Cause that's the number one question you should be asking, you know, as a, as a guide, if you're getting into this is you need to know what your people want. Cause I might be on an overslot snook bite and they might want to catch snappers and I might go put them on all these fish. And they're like, well, we caught some cool snook, but that's not what we wanted to catch. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's really being able to read your customer and know what they want, you know, what, what the client wants. Well, I have a, a story that I've told a couple of times before, um, about that. And sometimes you think, you know, what your customer wants in this, in this certain instant, I, I always thought that one of my, one of the reasons why I had any success was because of my telephone skills prior to the trip. I would ask people the same kind of questions you're asking, like, what is it that you want to do? For, because I mm -hmm. want to have the right tackle. I want to make sure exactly. that I have whatever's required. I want to make sure that if you're going to show up with four people, you're not going to be yes. disappointed because my boat only holds two. I want to know all the details. And then I'm not mm -hmm. afraid to push that trip off onto somebody who is better prepared for that. You want to take exactly. kids fishing? That's not going to be on a skiff. It's I, I'm not prepared mm -hmm. for that. So I would ask a lot of questions. One time I asked a bunch of questions and the guy said, well, I want to go bone fishing. And I said, great. And he knew some some of the language. It sounded like he knew what he was doing. So he shows up and uh, we go bone fishing and I am working my tail off back there, polling. I'm pointing them out. We're finding them. And he gets a lot of shots for the keys, like maybe 20 shots in a morning yeah. of fishing. Right. Jeez. On a half and day. I'm like, you know, this is great. And so he goes, man, I'm getting kind of hungry. So we just start floating along. I'm like, well, let's take a break. So we start floating along and we float over near a mangrove island with a ditch. And he looks down and goes, what are those? And I said, oh, those are snappers. And he goes, can I catch those? I said, sure. He's got a shrimp on his rod. He puts it in the water, catches one, puts another shrimp on, catches another. He says, why haven't we been catching these? And I said, well, you told me you wanted to go bone fishing. He goes, well, aren't we bone fishing? And I said, well, I mean, those are snappers. And he goes, Oh, I thought bone fishing was just being on a boat like this. I thought this was a bonefish boat. And all <laughs> of a sudden funny. it's like, Oh, I guess I didn't ask enough questions. Like, do you know that a bonefish is actually a fish? Like a real he just fish. wanted to go out in a small boat and catch fish. And so we sat, wow. we sat there and I was like, okay, well, I guess I don't need to be polling into the wind anymore. Like, and he no. sat there and caught as many snappers as we had shrimp and he was perfectly happy. And That's that awesome. one trip taught me a lot about asking questions and making sure yes. that you understand because man, that guy was happy as he could be. And I don't think That's he even funny. saw one bonefish that I saw earlier in the day. Like, you know, I'm not sure his glasses were polarized. I'm not sure that he he wasn't seeing them and it wasn't fun. That's, and that's not what he wanted to do. <laughs> yeah. And, and it's good. So on that same note, you said being able to give, you know, if you have a six person charter, which you can't do, you give them away. So 
that's the thing too, is I really specialize in the, the thrill of the hunt. I want the bigger fish, you know, the picture worthy, you know, hang on the refrigerator, what have you. And so over the past couple of years, I've been really strictly catch and release. And for a while I caught crap for that. A lot of guys were like, how are you going to catch and release only? Like you're going to have to put, you know, some people want to eat fish. I'm like, I understand that. I like fish and I do, I do target certain species, certain times of the year that you can take home, but that's not what I'm about. So it works out fine because I can stick to what I want to stick to. And then the trips where people just want to fill a cooler, which I don't do those, I can refer to my buddies or, or, you know, guides that have gotten close to me over the years that, that know what I'm about. I go, Hey, give him a call. He'll, he'll do that for you. So I can basically keep that client happy, but you can go with someone else that wants to do that style of fishing. And it's worked out well for me over the past few years. Like I said, people, usually know what I'm about and that's what they want to do. And now I have gotten a few that have been referred to me that were like, Hey, we want to fill the cooler. I'm like, you know, I don't personally do that style of fishing. I'm more into snook and tarpon. If you want to do that, I can help you. If not, I'm going to refer you to, you know, someone around here that can definitely put you on the fish to fill your cooler with. Yeah. And it could also, I mean, you know, you don't want to necessarily hurt anybody's feelings because that guy could come back to you. Yeah, like, look, exactly. I'm not really set up for that. Like the, 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 I'm, I'm in a little boat. I don't have big live well. I do catch and release. This guy's, he's perfectly set up for it. If you decide you want to come back and hunt some big snook, that's what I'm doing right now. That's what yeah. turns my crank and, and that's, exactly. that's cool. And, uh, and people appreciate a, a referral over to someone if it's handled correctly. Uh, yes. You know, I mean, you can, you can blow that opportunity too. You can be like, yes, I'm not going to do that. You'd have to be a, I don't know. You could be real ugly on the phone like that, but if you're, you can yeah. also be super nice. You you yep. you send them to the right person. They have a great trip. They continue to fish with that guy. They also fish with you. Um, yep. Great. Everybody's I've happy. had that happen. I've had that happen. I've sent people to a guy to you know do their cooler trip, and they said, "Hey, when I called you, you said you were really into snook and tarpon. I'd love to catch one of those. Never call one. They come back and they fish with me, and they're like, how's a lot of fun.' And then they can go back and forth, and yeah. it, and it just it, it works out. That's Everybody's it's happy. Good. So when Everybody's people happy. when people um, are are looking for a charter, what do you think the most important questions to ask a prospective guide are? Uh, definitely, what are you interested in? Like, what what do you well, like, once you get about the, the customer? Like, the customer's calling a guide. Like, do you have? You know, a lot of people think that maybe the most important question is, do you have Thursday open? Well, oh. <laughs> if that's not the right. If that's not the right guide, like, how do you know? If you were a customer, what kind of questions would you be asking the guide to make sure that you got the trip that you wanted? Okay, yeah. So if I was a customer, if I was calling you, Tom, hey, Tom, I only want a trip, I would say, what's first of all, I have to figure out what I want to catch. Like, let's say, you know, I've always wanted to catch a bonefish. Let's say, let's pretend. Um, I'm going to say, how's the bonefish bite right now? Is the bonefish bite good? Are you, are you confident that you can put me on some bonefish today? And if they say, yeah, I'm pretty confident we can make that happen. I think that's an important question is figure out what you want to catch and then ask whatever guide you're going to call, you know, what are the chances of me catching this particular fish? Like, can, can we do it? Or is it a maybe? And what do you have for a backup? You know, what's the plan B if that, if those fish aren't cooperating, well, what do you have in mind? And then you give them what you have in mind. And if they're into it, boom, that's it. Mm -hmm. I think just, making them catch what they're interested in catching pretty much. Yeah. And also the tackle too. Like if you got a guy that yeah, all he wants to do is fly fish and 
you don't have any fly rods. That's not something that you do. I mean, there's going to yeah. be somebody that's better prepared for that and you can probably put them exactly with the right person. Yeah. I don't do personally a lot of fly stuff. I really love fly fishing, but I am no professional fly angler. So I don't personally feel confident taking someone on a fly only trip only because I can't coach you. You know mm -hmm. what I mean? If you can't make the cast and it's not working, it's, I can verbally say, Hey, you know, try to lead them more, but your actual physical cast, I might not have the skills to say what you're doing wrong. So mm -hmm. I, I don't do fly only. I will. I've had plenty of guys that are like, Hey, if they're chewing really well, can I throw a fly? I'm like, yeah, I'll throw a fly out on the boat. If the bites there and you can make the cast. Sure. Of course. And I've, you know, have done that. It's been fun, but I, I would personally never do a fly only, only because my abilities of fly fishing are, are limited. I'd yeah. rather push on. There's plenty of guys in Syria that do fly only, and I'd be happy to send them the fly only stuff. Yeah. Well, that's the way, I mean, that's the way to do it and is not to be so desperate that you have to take any trip yeah. that comes Just your way and, and really try to get the, the client with the right guide for him or her and then the the trips that you you know the type of fishing that you want to do will come your way too and yeah that, that guy will get a get a uh a, a guy that says hey all i want to do is throw lures at big tarpon and uh he'll say yep. i know just the guy for you and exactly see i around. wish i wish the guides that were you know not the most cooperating could see that you know one hand feeds the other i might be getting trips that I don't necessarily want to do, and I'll be happy to refer him to you. And then he, I got a buddy who's got a bigger boat. He can, he can fit like six people. So a lot of my cooler filler trips, I'll refer to him and he does do inshore, but he doesn't specialize in, you know, snook and tarpon like I do. And when he gets people that, you know, might be one guy that wants to catch snook and tarpon, he'll be like, Hey, go with this guy. He'll put you on them. And then I'll say, Hey, go with this guy. He'll put you on the you know, the groupers and the, the snappers and all that. So right on. one hand feeds the one hand feeds the other. You know yeah. I mean? We can all, we can all work off of each other if we just can communicate and be civil. Right. Well, let's hope so. Um, so <laughs> let's, uh, let's, um, uh, my final question to you is if, uh, if you had, uh, you know, you got, you got a blue sky plan for the next, next five years, where, where would you like to see your, your guide service or what would you oh. like to be doing for the next in, that's fast, good fast forward to five years how would you like fast to see forward it? To, okay fast forward to five years but my goal right now that i have in mind is i'm really focusing like i said earlier just becoming the best i can be and i would like to be just one of those names when you think of southwest florida i'm hoping in the next five years i'll be one of those names that pops into your head maybe let's call it top five maybe top three who knows i want to be one of those guides that you think of when you think of naples marco island Ten Thousand Islands. Um, and then from there, I just like following the road, you know, I've always been, I've always been interested in the TV part. Like I wouldn't be opposed to, uh, uh, you know, shows or stuff, you know, all that stuff that that's always intrigued me. I actually listened to your podcast with, uh, you and Peter Miller, yeah. who I've also met. He's a really, really cool dude. I like him a lot. Um, and you were saying how there's so much behind the scenes stuff that people don't see. That's tough. And I'd love to learn the inner workings of the TV show. I think that's pretty cool. Um, so basically, yeah, just becoming the best guide I can be. I'd like to be a name in this area and then maybe do some TV stuff. It'd be really fun. Next five years. Right That'd on. Cool. Well, you're off to a very good start. You got a great reputation. You. You're, you, uh, have been recommended to me for the podcast a number of times. So thank you for spending the time with us today. And, uh, if people wanted to go fishing with you, 
or want to follow you on social media or whatever, how would they do that? Uh, on, on social media, I have uh, Captain Justin Napier, just spelled out J U S C I N N A P I O R. That's my Instagram, and then I have just Justin Napier on social or on Facebook, and then my website is backcountryculture.com. Backcountryculture.com. Right on. Okay, Justin. Well, thanks, man. I appreciate it. And good luck to you. And uh, this will be out shortly. So I appreciate your time and uh, good luck with those backcountry tarpon. Awesome. Thank you very much, Tom. Appreciate you having me. All right. We'll see you.